Friends, would you open up to uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be starting this week at verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 5, starting at verse 11, and that's found on page 966 in your pew Bible? What should I call it? Chair Bible? Church... uh, the Bible uh, ready for you. It's in front of you. So would you stand for the reading of God's Word, starting at verse 11. Before we pray, read, let us pray. Father God, this morning you have given us again your Word. And these are inspired words without error, and that will not fail us. So Lord, give us a faith to receive these words as your words, for that is what they are. Lord, also for what I will be preaching this morning, Lord, would you um, work in my heart as you have this week to present it in a way, Lord, that honors you and builds up the body of Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold. There's that word. Behold. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who no sin, so that in Him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, behold, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So at the age of 23, Charles became the pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, uh, England, at the age of 23. As a student at Cambridge, he had often walked by the church and he had just dreamt about becoming the pastor of this prestigious, beautiful building and being the pastor to these people. But when he became their pastor at Holy Trinity Church, he was not popular. The congregation wanted another man. They wanted the associate pastor to become their their pastor. So what did they do? They opposed him. They opposed him. And listen to how they opposed him. And so help me God, if you ever do this to me, there will be church discipline. This is what they did. The church was almost empty when he preached his first sermon. The people in the church would not let anyone sit in the pews. So what did Charles do? Charles brought in chairs and he put them in the aisles so that people could listen. What did the church do? They took the chairs and they threw them outside. That wasn't it. They refused to let him speak at the church's second service for 12 years. When Charles started another service, they locked the doors and wouldn't let anybody in. (laughs) They started rumors about him. When he even went to go visit people in the community, most people would not even open the door to him at all because of the rumors. On top of that, one time a group of students waited outside of the doors, um, waiting, planning on beating him up after church. But thanks be to God, Charles, by uh, God's providence, had him go out another door. They missed their chance. People hated Charles. He felt lonely, he felt discouraged, and yet the man never flinched. He stayed with Holy Trinity Church for 54 years. And he won the people over. Over his lifetime, the church grew, and Charles had a profound impact of not only his church, but he has even had a profound uh, impact throughout the church universal. Who is this man? No. His name is Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon. If any of you have ever heard of the Simeon Trust, this is the man that is behind the Simeon Trust. What would possess this man to keep on going under so much opposition? 
54 years, for 12 years he was not allowed to preach in, in a, one service. They, they were waiting to beat him up outside of the doors. What would keep a man to keep on keeping on? To keep coming to the pulpit week after week. I set up these chairs in the aisles because you wouldn't let them sit in the pews. And what do you do? You keep throwing out the chairs. Why does a man keep doing this? Why would someone keep on going for so many years under such duress, experience so much uh, a misunderstanding, so much opposition? Why would you keep doing that? And I ask this question for a reason. Sometimes it feels like following after Jesus really is relatively easy. I, I love it when it feels like we as a church are picking up momentum and we, we really kind of have this sense of expectancy in worship and in discipleship and in relationships. God is about to do something. I love in those moments. I love those days when I wake up hungry to read the Bible and to follow God in everything that I'm doing. And, and if, I love those moments when it feels like life is just going hunky-dory and I'm encouraged. I love those moments. But sometimes serving God is hard. And there's sometimes it feels like we have little to show for it. And sometimes, if we're honest, we're ready just to give up. So here's, here's a big question. What motivates us to keep loving God and serving others when it would be easier to quit? What is really your motivation for keep, keeping on, keeping on? Because even here as a church, there's moments where you just don't feel motivated. Anybody else? Yeah. You just don't feel motivated to keep on keeping on. So what is, what is your motivation for keeping on in the women's ministry and pushing forward in the ministry? What is your motivation for keeping on keeping on in the, the youth ministry, in the worship ministry, in the children's ministry, in your missional community as an elder or as a deacon, what, or you serving in a particular area? What is your motivation for, to keep on loving God and serving others when there seems to be a sense of opposition or numbness? What is it? And that's the question that Paul answers in this passage that's in front of us. So we're in the middle of this study where, uh, of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that, he's, that he started. And Paul is very honest about all the difficulties that he has faced and he, he even said back at the very beginning of this letter that we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. The world would say, well, get out and find another job. Right? This church is beating me up. This, this work of ministry is just, it's a knock here and a knock there and then one under the belt. I am down for the count. What is it that motivates Paul? He, he had experienced beatings and hunger and slander and opposition from inside the church and outside the church. People were even opposing him in the church that he started there in Corinth. 
And yet Paul kept on going, even though some people thought that this indicates that he was out of his mind, that he was crazy. And in this passage before us, Paul is going to explain to us what motivated him to keep on going. What motivates us to love God and to serve others when it is easier to give up? Quickly, it's these two things. A big view of God and a big view of the gospel. Those are the two motivating factors of what keeps us going on when it would just be easier to quit. A big view of God and a big view of the gospel. So first, we need a big view. When, when life is pressing in, we need a big view of God. We read in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul had a huge view of who God is. The fear of God was means an, an appropriate reverence, an appropriate awe because of who God is and what God has done. Paul was in awe of who God is. And this awe and reverence, this fear of the Lord, is not just an idea, a theological idea that is in his head. No, it was a... Paul had a big understanding that had its ways of working itself out into the way that he viewed and worked in life. It's a bigger picture of his greatness, a bigger picture of the knowledge of the glory of God, a bigger sense of the bigness, the humongousness of God, and resulting in a healthy fear in life as you think about God. So when we talk about fear in, in parenting, in, in the classroom, in the workplace, often fear kind of gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Well, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be fearful. We want to have a really great relationship. We want everything to be hunky-dory, really. Everybody's on the same place. But the reality is, so sometimes fear can be a negative motivator, right? But the reality is that fear is a perfectly good motivator. And we use fear all the time. We fear losing friends. So what do we do? We sometimes have to modify our, our behaviors, our time schedules, because we fear losing them. We fear losing our job, so we put in extra time to make sure our boss is happy. We fear losing money, so we lock in our debt when the interest rates start going up. Fear is a very healthy motivator when we use it the right way. So Paul is using the fear of God as a positive motivator. Paul has such a big picture of God that he is more afraid of what God thinks than what the people think. Does that make sense? I, I'm more, listen, you guys are upset with me, that's fine. I am more afraid of what God thinks. He, he has such a big view of God that it has squeezed out his fears. He knew that one day, 
He is going to stand before God and God will scrutinize his whole life and his ministry. And Paul understood that this would be the most important day of his life. So Paul cared more about what God thinks than what other people think. So how big is your view of God? The bigger your view of God, the more he will determine how you live rather than setbacks and discouragements. A big view of God will set us free from the fear of others. Oswald Chamber wrote this. He said this, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear something else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you will fear everything else. That's, that's the truth. Man, okay, I know you're angry with me, but you know what? I don't want God angry with me. So I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to continue pushing on. If, you, if this makes you uncomfortable, that's great. I, I, I get it. But ultimately, I am going to have to answer You need a big view of God. I love what Drew Dyke said in his book, Yawning at Tigers. He said this, People are starving for the awe of God. Most don't realize it, of course. They think they're starving for success or money or excitement or... You name it. I believe that once you strip away all the... and vain pursuits, it's God... And not just any God. We have friends. We need a great and awesome God. A God. So friends, we need, as a, as a church, as believers in Christ, we need a bigger view of God. You, you go through, as, as a tool maybe this week, Go through Scripture and look at all the names of God. One name cannot describe our God. Go through maybe this week and and calculate, read the Old Testament first maybe, and look at all the actions that, that God orchestrated. Look at what was done in Christ Jesus. Read through the Gospels. Just pick one Gospel and look at everything that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplished. What He did. He had authority. And look at what He did. Read through the book of Acts and look at the Acts of the Apostles and look at what God accomplished through the church. And then sit back and go, whoa, I need a bigger view of my God. But having a bigger view of God is not, is not it. Also had a, a big view of the gospel. In verses 14 through 19, we have one of the most detailed and amazing explanations of the gospel in the entire Bible. It's worth taking just a few minutes to look at. So Paul says in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. Paul was motivated by by a big view of God, but he was also motivated by a big view of Jesus' love shown most powerfully in the Gospel. 
Jesus' love changed his life. Paul explains exactly what Jesus did that changed him so much. First, it was what Jesus actually accomplished, what he did. Verses 14 through 15. Look at it again. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that who but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are, my friends, we are the object of Jesus' love. Out of sheer love, Christ died on behalf of sinners like you and me. Because of sin, humanity is condemned before God and is subject to death. And Jesus died that death in our place. He gave His life for us. And Paul says that because Jesus loved Him so lavishly, so extravagantly, He is controlled by that love. Think about that. He is controlled by the love of Christ. He trusted Christ and he's experiencing, he's experiencing the lavish, extravagant love of Christ in his life. And that love is now controlling him. And so he too must live, not for himself, but to now he is called to serve others. He's controlled by the love. Christ was controlled by love. And Christ did what? He served others. So Paul is saying, Man, I'm called to love others. So Paul unpacks two things uh, that changed when Jesus died for him. The first is, Jesus made him new. Friends, this, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I've got it tattooed on my arm. I, I can do it from memory. But here's the reality. We, we often evaluate others and ourselves by externals. But Paul evaluates things differently, whether, we, whether or not we, we know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, then the old standards don't matter at all. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus, what does he say? The old is gone. It's what? It's gone. It has passed away. And what happened? There's not a void there. The new has come. The old has passed away and the new has come. David Platt beautifully put it this way. And listen to this carefully. You are not ultimately a husband or a wife. You got that? A mom or a dad singled or married, widowed or divorced. You are not defined by how you look, by what you wear, or by what you do for a living, by how much you make, where you live, who you cheer for. Your identity is not found in your gender, your ethnicity, or your socioeconomic status. You are not defined by your past as an addict or an alcoholic or a victim of abuse in this way or that way. 
You are not what counselors would say you are defined by your genetic makeup or your past history. You are not what bosses might tell you defined by your present performance. You are not what your parents and teachers might tell you that you are based on your potential for the future. No, you are in Christ. Christ is in you. He is your identity. Can I get an amen? amen? Come on, really, think about that. You are not defined by your past, present, or your future. You're not defined by what culture says that you are defined by. No, you are defined by Christ. Platt goes on to say, do not let this world steal that away from you. Christ in you. Christ in you now and Christ in you forever. This is your identity forever. And you have an entirely new identity which leads to an entirely different perspective. Amen. And that's the first thing that has changed. That you are made new. And what a gift from God. Because you know what? I hate the old Paul. I love the new Paul because Christ has made me new. But that wasn't it. There's another thing. He said that Jesus has made it possible for you to be reconciled to God by taking your sins and giving you His righteousness. Friends, you know this well. And if you don't, let, let me tell you some bad news and then some good news. We had a broken relationship with God. Humanity exists in, in, in a state of hostility towards God. But here's the good news. Jesus took the initiative in overcoming our hostility. He took the first step. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became, was God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And that Word put on flesh and stepped into our world and became a baby caught up in in the fluid of a mother and came through the birth canal and came into our world kicking and screaming. So that, what? So that you might be redeemed. It is His work. You did nothing in that process to bring Christ into your world. Christ came into your world. And how did He do it? He came and did what was called the greatest exchange ever that took place in, in history. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God provided Jesus to stand in the place of sinful humanity. And even though Jesus was sinless, God treated him as if he was a sinner by letting him die in our place. As a result, God now treats us as if we had never sinned. Jesus took all of our sin and gave us all of his righteousness. Think about that. This is the best news yet you will ever hear. And it changed everything for Paul. 
If, if you want something that will keep you going, even when things get hard and nasty, this is it. We need a big view of who God is. And we need a big view of the gospel and how it has made us new and it is changing us and now we have a right standing before a holy and awesome god who hates sin but now when god looks at us he sees us through the lens of his son ah paul my son i love you just as he sees his own son and what a gift that is to a lost and broken world But friends, Paul doesn't just give us this information. He asks us to respond in two ways. So here's your application. The first is, if you have trusted Jesus, and you are in Him, and you have been made new, Paul is saying, won't you join me in ministry? Paul says in verses 18 to 20, he says this. And listen to it, would you? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, entrusting to us, you, put your name in there, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, you, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Think about that. If you are a follower of Christ, you are his ambassador. You, you're, you are a, wherever you go, you are his representative. To speak to everyone you meet. You are authorized to speak on behalf of God, to invite them to be reconciled to God. My friends, all of you in some way are missionaries. I don't care how old you are or how far along you are in your process, your walk with Jesus. Each and every one of you, by the Word of God, you are an ambassador. You have been given a ministry of reconciliation you have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation friends do not waste it and that is one of the reasons why i have encouraged you all to participate in a class called gospel fluency and if you did not make it to this first round don't worry we will have another round because I think it is critical that we understand the implications of the gospel for each and every one of us. But the gospel is not just for me. The gospel is for the lost and broken. So what are you going to do about it? You have been entrusted with this gospel. Are you going to sit on your hands? Are you going to remain in fear? 
Or are you going to take the greatest message that has ever been written, that has been ever applied to your life, and will you go out boldly as a standing, if you will, in a courtyard and saying, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Or will we cower and be afraid? Go back to point one. He had a proper fear and understanding, a big view of God. Paul dared not squander that opportunity. But there's another op- application here. So first, if you are in Christ, there is this call to, to actually tell others about this good news. But the second application is if you have not trusted Christ, Paul's call is will you do so today? If you, if you noticed, I stopped halfway through verse 20. The first half of verse 20 is therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making His appeal through us. But then he went on and said, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. And and he goes on later on to say, uh, we appeal to you, verse 1, we appeal to you. We implore you. So I began telling you this story of Charles Simeon who, who just wouldn't give up about telling Jesus. 54 years in this ministry at, at Holy Trinity Church in, in Cambridge. Just pushed on with opposition inside and outside. And he kept on telling. Why? Because he had a big view of God and he had a big view of the gospel. When Charles Simeon died, one of his obituaries carried this remembrance of calling his hearers to faith. He said, it wrote like such. And after having urged all of his hearers to accept, accept this pro-offered mercy, he reminded them that there were those present whom he had preached Christ for more than 30 years. But they continued indifferent to the Savior's love. And pursuing this train of expostulation for some time, indifference for some time, he at length became quite overpowered with his feelings and sank down in the pulpit and burst into a flood of tears. I haven't been pastoring here for 30 years. But, I, but some of you have been listening to me for quite some time. You come for various reasons. And I am imploring you, respond to this good news. And I'm imploring, I am imploring on behalf of Christ. As he says in in verses 1 and 2, working together with Him, we appeal to you not to receive this grace of God in vain. For he says, in, in a favorable time, I have listened to you. God is listening even right now. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. He will help you if you respond. Behold, now 
Now, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. Would you open your ears? Would you open your heart to receive the good news of Christ? Would you quit trying to be religious? Would you quit trying to do all the right things? And would you respond to the mercy of Christ? Respond to His grace. My friends, today is the day of salvation. Would you respond? Would you? Don't let another day go by of just making it. Quit it. Be reconciled to God today by trusting in what Jesus has done on your behalf. This is the message that Paul kept going. It's the message that kept Charles Simeon going. And it is the message that is to keep us going as well. Friends, get a big view of God. Get a big view of the Gospel. And trust in Him. Those of you who are Christ, some of you have forgotten fallen into unbelief, trust in Christ. Those of you who have never trusted in Christ, publicly professed your faith, trust in Him today. And all God's people said, let us pray.